Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. John this morning. We're going to start a new chapter, John chapter 13. John chapter 13 really starts a whole new section of scripture in John chapter 13. In the first first uh, eight chapters we see, the, or the first 12 chapters, we really see the miracles of Jesus. And then in starting in 13 to 17, we see the what we call the upper room discourse where he spends the last, I guess, I don't know, at least 15 or 20 hours of his life with his disciples, as much of that as he can. He's spending as much as he can to teach them what he wants them to understand when he's gone from this earth. And so Jesus is going to give them as much knowledge as he can. He's already spent three years of his life, but... At this point, he's beginning to prepare them for when he's gone, and and he's been trying to tell him and tell him, and they haven't understood. But here he begins to tell them all kinds of things they need to do, and he's going to start out with a lesson in humility on washing their feet. As we look at this section of scripture, we're going to see three thoughts that that Jesus knew that his hour has come. That he knew that it was time, that he loved his disciples to the end, and that he knew that Jesus, that Jesus, not Jesus, Judas, would betray him. As we look at this section of scripture today, we know that Jesus is going to tell us how how to live after he's gone, particularly his disciples, and he must have done a good lesson, even though they had a hard time to begin with after he came back and was resurrected from the dead. At that point, they understood and they began to really live for him and do the things. Peter, who was scared of a little servant girl, after Jesus is resurrected, says, You uh, wicked and evil men who crucified Jesus, you need to repent. But before that, he was scared of a little old girl. So something happened. Here he's beginning to prepare them. We're past all the time that Jesus is going to speak to anybody but his disciples remember in the previous chapter it says he told them to walk in the light while you have the light they rejected him so he hid himself the time for these other folks is over but here he spends his time with his disciples so let's read maybe the first 12 verses or so in john chapter 13 see how far we get today John chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from the world, from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that his father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? And so as we look at this section of Scripture, it says now before the feast of the Passover, remember Jesus is going to die the very next day. When the lambs are being killed, the Passover lambs, because Jesus, remember all the way back in chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, right? And Jesus was that Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That all those lambs that were killed were just pictures of what Jesus would do as the perfect, sinless sacrifice that He would die for all of our sins, die in our place, and he would be the sin bearer. Jesus is at this third feast of Passovers. And it's amazing to me how many threes there are. I think this is the third feast of the Passover. And I know there's something about this world that God, you know, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? They're the three in one God. They're not three gods, but they're, they're three in one. We call ourselves me, myself, and I. We got a body, we got a soul, we got a spirit, and that's the way God is. He's a three-part being manifested in three persons. And so, what happens is, if you look around at this world, it seems like things happen in threes. He went to Galilee three times and spoke to the people in Galilee. Three times they rejected him. He went to Jerusalem three times. They rejected him three times. He goes to three Passover feasts. He, he was actually what they believe 33 when he died. I, I don't know what significance that has. But if you look at the world around us, if you look at what science says, there's gases and solids and liquids and height and width and depth and time, space and matter. And those are the main things that the whole everything is made up out of. But those are made up in three parts, right? I mean, even if you look at our world as to, the, you know, we got the sun and the moon and the earth, right? I mean, that's the main three things that cause our earth to function. If you look around, it's amazing how God has put things together. And I think there's no accident that He works in threes. I think three is the number of completeness because that's who God is. And He's uh, three in one, perfect, complete. 
when they get three chances. Maybe that's where that old saying came from, three strikes and you're out. I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe that's where it came from. But this is before the Feast of the Passover. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. So first of all, Jesus knew that his hour had come. What kind of state of mind was Jesus in? Well, he knew that the time was short. He knew that the time was here. He had to prepare his disciples. He had to get them ready. He had to get these guys on board because he's not long for this world. And they've got a big job to do after he leaves. And so he's going to teach them about the Holy Spirit and abiding in him and bearing fruit and all kinds of wonderful things. And and they won't understand it all now, but they'll understand it after the Holy Spirit comes. But he says that he knew that his hour had come. And so what's his first priority? Is teaching them lessons. And we'll see the first lesson that he teaches here in a minute is humility. But notice what he says. He says, having loved his own who were in the world. Now, it's kind of in the first 12 chapters I was looking yesterday, and apparently Jesus talks about eternal life a lot in the first 12 chapters. I mean, about seven or eight times in every chapter, it talks about life, life, life. But when you get to chapters 13 to 17, the predominant words are world and love. What he wants us to understand is that there's a world, and God loves the world, but the world is rejecting him, and so he loves he loves them anyway, but he loves his disciples more than he loves the world because... You know, it's like us. You know, we might love other people's kids and, you know, like the children next door, but we we have a special love for our kids, right? For our children. And that's the way God is. But he says, having loved his own who are in the world. He's talking about the disciples, the believers. And he has that special love for us, too. That that he says he loved them to the end. And some of y'all's Bibles might say to the uttermost. But Jesus loved them to the very most that he could completely and fully and totally as best as he could he he loved them with everything that he had i mean think about it he went to the cross for us right he went to the cross for them he went to the cross for us that's loving somebody the bible tells us that no greater love has man than this and then he should lay down his life for his friends right jesus is going to love them to the end now it's not to the end of his life but to the end, to the completeness, to the uttermost, with his utmost ability, he's going to love them just as he loves us. And so remember what I said, that this word love is going to occur about seven times every chapter in the next five chapters. And you know what? The next five chapters are going to deal with maybe 15 to 24 hours of Jesus' life. We're going to spend five chapters on the last day of Jesus' life. And that's what the important thing is because we're going to see that they examine Him and they're going to, we're going to see all the things He teaches the disciples and those are the things He wants us to understand. And so these next five chapters are going to be very, very important for us if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so He says, "...and the supper being ended." And from what I understand, that really should read, "...the supper having begun." 
He says, The devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So basically what happens is the supper's getting getting started. The people are coming in to have the supper. If you read Luke chapter 22, you will see that, uh, that the devil has already entered in to, to Judas. He has already come into Judas. He has possessed him. And he is leading and guiding Judas. Now, don't think that Judas wasn't a willing participant. You know, uh, the Bible tells us as believers that we cannot be possessed by, by the devil. The devil might can harass us. He can, might mess with us. But he cannot come into us. But he entered into Judas and was guiding and directing Judas just like God the Holy Spirit comes into us when we get saved. He guides and directs us. But see, because the Holy Spirit's in us, if we're believers, the devil can't be in the same place where God's at. The devil comes in, he starts directing Judas. He's already went and talked to the priest to say, you know, how can I arrange it to turn this man in, to kill him, to meet y'all's needs because they want to kill him? See, he knows that his hours that come, he knows that the time is at hand. He knows that he's about to leave this world. And he knows that Judas is going to turn on him and going to betray him. He knows all these things. But yet, in spite of all that, uppermost in his mind is to teach these disciples what they need to know before he gets gone from this earth. And so he says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going to God. So basically, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he owns everything, that he has everything, that everything belongs to him. The Bible says over and over and over again that everything belongs to Jesus. Did y'all know that? He created everything. Colossians 1.16 says that He created everything. He holds it all together. That by Him all things were made. And it all belongs to Him. The Father has given all things into His hands. That He had come from God. He, he knew where He came from. He knew He was going back to God. And then He says that He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. So he rose from supper. Now, if you want to go back and look at Luke chapter 22, what you'll find out is that these disciples have been, they're coming to the supper. Jesus has prepared everything, told them to go speak to a man, and he's got a room prepared and get everything ready. But you know what's going on if you read Luke chapter 22? These disciples are fighting amongst themselves. They're fighting and they're just trying to debate which one is the greatest amongst themselves. That's what they're doing if you go read Luke chapter 22. They're debating and maybe they're coming in the door and they're pushing and shoving and trying to get the best seat next to Jesus, the right side and the left side. And remember there was one other time where uh, a couple of the disciples said, Asked Jesus, and then the mother also asked, said, when, when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, would you grant it for my sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand? And Jesus said, it's not for me to grant that. But my father does that, right? He's the one that gives that honor to whoever he wants to. 
you know, these disciples are maybe full of pride and they're pushing and shoving, trying to get the best seats. And it says in Luke chapter 20, 22, he says in verse 24, he said, A dispute also started among them over which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it must not be like that with you. Instead, the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is seated at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is seated at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Remember Jesus, He says in Mark 10.45, He says, I did not come to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Here we are, these disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. Who's going to be on the right hand? Who's going to be on the left hand? Who's going to be... The, the biggest biggest dog on the block, right? And guess what? Jesus kind of shocks them. He, he rose from supper. Apparently all these guys already were sitting down and probably our shoes are the dirtiest things that we have on, probably. You know, we walk around in all kinds of places and we don't know what we've really been into, but... But think about it back in the days. They didn't have bathroom facilities like we did. and They had mud, you know, dirt streets and dirt floors and everything. And, you know, they took waste a lot of times through it in the streets and everything else. And, you know, you were either walking in dust or else you were walking in mud, especially on a morning like this morning. If you went to walk somewhere, you'd be full of mud, right? When you got to a, a supper, what you would do is they'd be sitting around a table. It's not anybody remember that picture that uh, was painted, the Last Supper, where all the guys are all sitting on one side and they're sitting at this table. Well, that's not what's going on here. Back in the day, what would happen? It would be like a U-shaped table. Now everybody would be sitting on the ground. And they would normally be leaning on their left elbow, I guess, if they were right-handed. And they would be kind of laid back on the floor, kind of like this, you know, and sitting back. And and the table's a little bit off the floor. And they're sitting there eating with their right hand. Now, their feet were sticking out. Now, if there's a U-shaped table, probably my feet are sticking over in your face. And their feet are sticking over in other people's face pretty close. So you're walking around, your feet are dirty, your feet are nasty, and you really don't want to come in a facility and and stick your dirty feet in somebody's face while they're sitting there eating, right? Pretty close. And so they're sitting, they apparently already sat down and just grabbed seats, and they were so concerned about who was the greatest that nobody stopped to think, who's going to wash our feet? Now think about this. Jesus had made sure that there was a place to eat, that there was food there. He prepared a donkey, you know, made sure the donkey was there and all these other things, other times. Now, do you think there was no servant there? Now, the towel was there, the basin was there, all the stuff to wash the feet were there. But guess what? There wasn't anybody there to wash the feet. So that meant that one of them had to wash the feet. So here they are, they come into the room and they're shoving and pushing and 
grab the best seats, sit down. Everybody's rushing in there like a bunch of kids. And, and all of a sudden, they're all sitting down and Jesus looks around and He goes, I guess nobody's going to wash their feet, right? He knew. He gets up and He laid aside His garments. When He says He laid aside His garments, think about this. We talked about, I guess, several weeks ago about the fact that Jesus laid aside His prerogatives, His abilities, that even though He was God, He became a servant, right? Even though He was God, He didn't have a place to stay, to lay His head. Even He was God, He laid aside His independent exercise of authority. He laid aside all these things, the ability to know everything, the ability to be all-powerful because He confined Himself to a body. He he laid aside the ability to be everywhere at once and to be all-powerful, omniscient, and, and all these things, He laid those aside. This is not He was ever less than God, but He voluntarily laid it aside. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am meek and lowly, right? Meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means power under control. Speaks of a horse that's been bridled, a strong wind. Jesus has power. One, he says, But there stands one among you whom you do not know. Verse 27 It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. In other words, I'm not even worthy enough to wash Jesus' feet. This is the most menial task. And these disciples are so proud, but yet Jesus lays aside his pride. He doesn't have any pride. He lays aside his prerogatives, his everything, and he says, I'm going to show you how you ought to live. I'm going to show you what you ought to do. As he does that, he says here, he took a towel and he girded himself. So basically he would have to strip some of his outer garments off. He laid aside those. He took a towel and he girded himself. He wraps himself about with the towel. And it says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he's going down the road. He's washing feet. Now, Jesus is not saying we need to institute foot washing. I know some churches do that. That's not what he's teaching here. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But he says, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Peter's kind of prideful. Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet, are you, Jesus? Jesus would have said, hey, who wants to wash my feet? They'd have probably all lined up, right? But they weren't willing to wash each other's feet. But Peter in his pride says, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Remember I said that John 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they start to understand the things that Jesus said and did because it is the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand. And then Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. You know what? This is the strongest triple nail. This is like a no, no, never shall you wash my feet. He says, Lord, you, my feet? Uh-uh. No way. Not you, Jesus. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And I want to 
spend a few minutes on this for a minute because Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So, first of all, Jesus says, look, if I can't wash your feet, you're not going to have anything to do with me. And we'll, let me explain what that means. Because he goes on to say, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Let, let's explain that. Now, what happens? Jesus was giving us an example. He says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Let me stop and explain that. He says, he who is bathed. There's two different words here. Bathe means to wash completely, right? And, he, and when he uses the word wash, he means like a, a just a small area to be washed. So it's two different words. Now what Jesus is saying here is that the moment that we trust Jesus Christ, what happens? The Bible says that God completely washes us. He completely cleanses us. And I want to define my verses here. And I want to turn to a couple of verses for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says over here, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Let me read a couple more verses. Ephesians 5.26 talks about the fact that um, you have been washed clean. If I can get there this morning. Ephesians 5.26, he says, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the Word. I'll just stop right there. Titus basically says the same thing that that we are washed by the washing of the water of the Word. In other words, how are you saved? You're saved by hearing the truth. We talked about that a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The moment you heard the Word, you believed the Word, you trusted the Word of truth, you were saved, and at that moment you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is to guarantee the down payment, the promise, into the redemption of the purchased possession. So what he says is basically what happens at the moment you are saved, God washes all our sins away. What is that old song? I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been washed in the blood and I'm cleansed. Can't think of the words right this second. But there's so many words in the Bible that talk about being washed. And some people take this washing to speak of baptism. Baptism does not save you. I'm sorry. It is the washing of the water of the Word. God forgives you. He saves you. When you hear the truth, you believe the truth that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and He rose again the third day. That is the Gospel. When you believe that and trust in that and say, God, I want to be forgiven because of that. Because see, if you say, i got to be baptized to be saved, guess what? That means you have to do something. But the Bible says, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. That's basically we sing the song, but that's what the Bible says, right? What Jesus is saying is, look, if you've been saved, you've trusted in Me, and you've believed in Me, I have already washed you clean. You don't need to be washed anymore. 
Because Peter's saying, wash my hands and my feet, my head and everything, right? But what does he mean when he says he's who's been bathed needs only to wash his feet? Now we all know that verse in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I think a lot of us know that verse and I'll turn over there. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he tells us over here this same book written by the disciple John and he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in other words Peter said I don't need to be washed Jesus says yes you don't need to be washed but your feet are dirty now what happens just as they walk through the world they're walking in the streets what happened their feet get dirty right Guess what? As we walk around in this world, what happens? We get slimed by the dirt and the filth, the people's languages and the things we see and the things we hear and the things we're exposed to. We get slimed by that stuff. We get dirty. Sometimes that causes us to think thoughts and to do things. And the Bible tells us that all of us, even if we're saved, we still sin. Because the Bible says that we sin in thoughts. You know, if we know to do good and don't do it, that's sin, right? And sometimes we know we ought to do something, we don't do it. The Bible says that's sin. The Bible tells us that sometimes we see somebody and all of a sudden we think, that old bitty or that old jerk, that's sin. The Bible says that James says you've murdered with your tongue when you call somebody a fool or a moron. And so basically what happens is Jesus has forgiven us and cleansed us and washed us completely. But what he's saying is daily we need to have forgiveness. It's sort of like this, you know, my wife and I, we love each other, right? But you know what? When we get mad at each other or I do something wrong, mostly it's me. When I do something wrong or whatever, I have to ask for forgiveness, right? Until I ask for forgiveness, then there's kind of a little bit of barrier between us, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And it's sort of like this. I like this illustration. My dad's not alive anymore, but when I was born, I was born and I was my daddy's son. And I always have been and I always will be, right? Nothing can ever change that. Now, when he was alive, I could get mad at him and he could get mad at me, but I was still his son. Now, that's what the Bible says is when you trust Jesus... You are forever His child. Nothing can ever change that. But what happens is sometimes we do things wrong and we put a barrier between us and God and we have to come say, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry I did that wrong. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That that word is a past action with a continuing result. In other words, in the past... He cleansed us and forgave us when He was on that cross. And we hadn't even been born yet, right? He died for all of our sins. Not just some of them. He died for every single sin we'll ever commit. And when I sin, I just go and I say, Father, please forgive me. I did so and so. Confess means to say the same thing that God says. And so I say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I did wrong. And God says, you're forgiven. Not that I lost my salvation, but the fact is to restore that relationship. 
If I don't have a right relationship with God, the Bible says if we don't forgive others, He won't forgive us. It says if we, our prayers are hindered sometimes because of the way we treat others because of unforgiven sin. So for God to hear me and respond to me and do the things He wants to do in my life, I have to have daily forgiveness. Which means that I have to go back to God sometimes and say, God, or a lot of times say, God, I did this, it was wrong, please forgive me. And he says, you're forgiven, son. And now our relationship is right again, right? Just like I said with my wife. You know, that relationship is restored. Or with my dad. Yes, I'm still my dad's son. But until I ask for forgiveness, there's a break between our relationship. I can say, Daddy, would you give me $100? He said, no. I ain't talking to you right now, right? I wouldn't give you a dime. Forget $100, right? So that's what happens. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is you can't have any part of me, not that you've lost your salvation, but that you cannot have fellowship with me. If I'm mad at somebody and they're mad at me, we're not having fellowship, are we? And that's what Jesus says. As soon as you get your feet washed, get that sin, that dirty sin in your life washed, we can be back in a right relationship. Does that make sense to y'all? But basically, Jesus wants them to understand that no matter, and us to understand that yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're saved if we've trusted Christ. But every day, we need to come to Him and say, God, forgive me. God, I, I just talk badly about this person or I just lost my temper or I just... You know, thoughts of bad thoughts or I just, whatever it is. And that we need to just go back and say, God, forgive me. And then our relationship is restored. We're back in fellowship. We never lose our salvation. But baptism does not save. Baptism is a symbol of an uh, outward symbol of an inward reality. Because at the moment you were saved, you were washed in the blood. And I think we'll sing that one, Power in the Blood. I don't know what number that is, but we'll sing that. Let's pray. Let's close. Father, we love You. We thank You. We praise You for these truths. We thank You that we don't have to get saved over and over again. And if we had to do something to go to heaven, God, we'd never make it. But You said that You paid it all. You said when when You died on that cross, Jesus, that, that it was finished. Our debt was paid in full. There was nothing left for us to do. But you did it all. But daily, we need to come back and say, God, yes, I've been wrong today. Yes, I need to be cleansed. Restore our fellowship. Restore our friendship so that I can live for you and do the things that you want me to do. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, 
to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free. And these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.